Hello, my name is Maggie Taggart. I'm a broadcast journalist and I was BBC Northern Ireland's education correspondent for 20 years. Now I've linked up with the Equality Commission for a series of podcasts on tackling educational inequalities. We'll be looking at the problems and also the innovative ideas to deal with them. Today I'm speaking to Michelle Janes. She is head of Bernardo's Northern Ireland and also an ambassador for children's services in Northern Ireland. She has a wealth of history with disadvantaged children and their families. And that's too broad to describe fully here. But Michelle, let's start with with one thing among your experience with children and young people. What sounds like a very innovative scheme. So it's the Syrian Vulnerable Persons Resettlement Scheme and it came about in early 2015 here in Northern Ireland. That was when we first brought families from camps in the Middle East to Northern Ireland. And since then, until COVID, we continued to have arrivals like every six to eight weeks into Northern Ireland of large groups of families. We are part of a consortium of organisations. So that's partnerships with Bryson Intercultural, with the Red Cross, people like South Belfast Round Table, and lots of other community and voluntary sector providers across Northern Ireland in partnership with the Department of Communities, Education, with Health and, and uh, Social Services. So in Bernardo's, our role is to provide support to the families and the children from the point of arrival to help them on their integration journey in Northern Ireland. Describe to me your first meeting with any of the families or the children. I mean, what happens? I mean, how is it orchestrated? How do we first meet them? It's one of the most powerful experiences, Maggie, I've ever ever had in my life. Um, I can remember the first families that arrived in December 2015 and they arrive into Belfast to where to our welcome centre where they're staying they stay with us for a week and during that time we get to know them we we give them a lot of information about life in Northern Ireland about our particular culture I think everything fly on the wall for that <laughs> oh it's great uh, everything from our money everything about education about life in Northern Ireland about housing in Northern Ireland but often families you know flee in war um, and her refugees have experienced really complex trauma. So you have children and families arriving in a new country. Many don't speak the language. Very different culture here as well. So it's about embracing that. And the first thing you want to do is get them to rest and to start building relationships with them. We all know relationships are so important in helping anybody feel that they belong somewhere. And if you've lost everything in your life, and I, and I don't just mean things, I mean people, your place, your sense of belonging, if your life, your your work, your identity. If you've left everything behind somewhere else and have come somewhere new, it's really important that people wrap around you very quickly to help you feel safe and settled. But what we find really quickly with our Syrian families, their priorities are children. They want their children safe. They want their children healthy and, and happy. One of the first things they want to hear about is how are their children going to be educated, where are they going to be educated, is it going to be places for their children to go to school they that, that they're really passionate about that and um, they see that as a way um, of contributing to society they see you know this whole bit about our children become educated they'll be able to give back they might be able to rebuild in other countries but they see education as a real priority so what are the main barriers to that suppose we work very closely with the education authority um, and they have a newcomer pupil policy and um, but we work very close with them before families arrived, you identify where families are going to be living and then link them into you know, places for schools. All of that's arranged by the Education Authority. Barriers are, well, 
not just barriers but the challenges as well sometimes because a child's education journey may have been fractured or interrupted or some of them mightn't have started school this might be their first school experience so some schools will put the child in the class of their age with their peers which is great but if your english is, is, is if english is only new to you that's a real challenge some schools put them into a younger age group and for the children they'll say yes that's great but actually it really interrupts peer relationships and that can be a real barrier in terms of how they then achieve and in terms of their integration journey one of the other big barriers is if if a if a family don't speak english there's a challenge in terms of how the school then involve them in the child's education journey schools work really hard to try and engage families but they don't consistently use the resources that are available in terms of ensuring that um, communication you know is able to flow two ways so if you don't speak english but you really want your child to do well at school that's really really difficult now we've seen some really innovative pieces of work that has sprung up as a result of the syrian program and a really good example is one in conway mill where volunteers and teachers have come together to provide after-school provision and, and additional classes to help the children with their English or to help them with specific topics, and the outcomes are amazing. You know, families all have access to English language classes. However, there's loads of barriers around that and challenges. You know, if you're a mummy with five children, it's really difficult for you to get to an English language class. We've seen some great things pop up as well around that, for example, where the women's centres have wrapped around and helped um, or we've managed to secure additional places in Sure Starts in order to free mummies and daddies up to go to, to English language classes. It sounds like a huge task. We don't do it on our own, Maggie. If we had to do everything on our own, we wouldn't get very far. And I think that's been the success of the, of the scheme is that we've done it in partnership. And also communities have really stepped up and wrapped around these families and are really helping. There's additional work that has happened in the Education Authority in order to, you know, to help schools develop um, the resources to ensure children are getting the support they need and to try and help them support families. So we might go in alongside a family and say, you know, do the introductions and talk to the school about actually this is maybe a different way of communicating with this family or if you're going to contact the family, don't send a letter home. You know, I've thought about that in terms of how other families are communicated with by schools. So, for example, if English isn't your first language or you don't have verbal English or you can't read or write, which about one in five in Northern Ireland there are real literacy barriers so we really need to think about how we creatively engage with the wider family because if a family are involved in a child's education that will improve their outcomes longer term. So you do tackle the families and you try to help them and has that borne fruit? It has borne fruit. There are children and young people in grammar streams. We've seen children and young people coming out with very good um, GCSE and A-level results and you know I, I can remember there's one young woman who was A-level year went into school learning English and achieved three A's in sciences at A-level that is just remarkable that is just remarkable and that's about commitment motivation and and the support that the wider community of learning provided for her as well as the school there's some really fabulous and innovative pieces of work happening in schools that needs to be shared it shouldn't be in pockets it shouldn't be just where somebody's got a wee bit of additional resource it should be in all schools we need to make sure all schools are accessible for all children
Do you have the feeling that the Syrian families coming in are, are different in their attitude to other incoming children that maybe don't have this emphasis on education or, or is everybody the same? No, we're not talking about homogenous groups here. Everybody is different and everybody's needs are different. You know, we've this independent review of education happened that the ministers commissioned and I feel very strongly that what it needs to do is it needs to look at all of our children and what they need in a more focused way. So, for example, I don't think there's enough focus on traveller children and children here in Northern Ireland who are um, not achieving their full potential because the support isn't there. So, you know, if you, if you think about it, um, we know that children from the travelling community often have the poorest educational outcomes and little's changed, Maggie, in decades decades that's not good enough um, describe to me the problems that you find in, in traveler families in terms of traveler children access and education one of the key challenges is the high dropout rate of traveler children between primary and post-primary school our traveler transition service prepares primary seven and year eight pupils aged between 10 and 12 moving to post-primary school and supports them through the initial years including both group and individual work and through this work we hope to support children from the traveller community to continue their education. What makes them drop out? Many of the traveller children we work with tell us about being bullied in school including being called racially offensive names by their peers. In addition our service managers have struggled to identify services that would support traveller parents to improve their literacy levels. So the history of maybe a lack of education among the parents is then transferred to their children? I think it's more, Maggie, about parental experience. So if I, as, as a, a child, had been bullied or racially abused in school, I'd be really anxious about sending my own children to school. So there's a bit about how we support families to feel it's okay and it's safe and your children will be all right. But then if your children go into school and have the similar experience that you had decades ago, because we're talking about things not changing, you can understand why there might be a reluctance to continue to focus on keeping the children in school. We are not talking openly about the needs of a community in Northern Ireland whose educational outcomes for their children have been so poor for decades and nothing has changed and we need we need to put a shine a real light on that. Has there been pressure from the traveller community for that? Goodness, yes, there there are um, I suppose key figures within the traveller community who, who are quite vocal and be very, very strong advocates. But I think without the lack of focus in any of the reviews that have happened, there needs to be funding in order to ensure that the support is provided in the right place at the right time to the right people in order to help change the outcomes for traveller children. So we really would like to see education provision meeting their needs and things in the independent review, I suppose, focusing on how we are going to improve outcomes for these children. So would an effort like the, the Syrian scheme transpose easily to the traveller children? I think there's lots of learning. I think from the from the, the Syrian scheme, I think there's, there's so much learning. There's so much learning from that. There's so much learning from how we've adapted things during the pandemic for children. You know, we, we need to take the good and the learning that, that we've got there and put it into place for all of our children. So the bit's about communication. If I can't communicate with you verbally, does that mean that I can't come to school and talk to you about my children? For, for children or parents who have additional needs. So if English isn't the first language, there's barriers there. So we really need to get more creative. And I go back to the relationship. I've been saying to a lot of my teams, 
months during COVID, we've all relied on a lot of typing and a lot of emails. And a lot of that comes with, you know, interpretation challenges and all of that. We need to get back to actually having conversations with people. It doesn't necessarily have to be face to face. We can lift the phone and how are you and how's it going and how are you finding things? Or if it's English is the barrier, then using an interpreter or or asking somebody to support. Never use a child as an interpreter. I'm going to be really clear. Oh, really? Why not? Because adult issues should be talked between adults. Okay. Children shouldn't get involved. But it's a way of communicating. It, and saying, it, it you know, is, I need to be in yes, school in this sort of yeah, outfit. Yes, there's 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 things like that. But I think more grown up adult issues need to be talked about between adults. And really, it's not right for children to be involved in certain conversations that adults need to have. You've obviously had quite a lot of success with the Syrian Vulnerable Persons Scheme. Can you paint us a picture of some family or one individual that you've been really impressed with and thought, that's our work done? I don't think our work's ever going to be done, Maggie, I suppose, just to be I really, left myself really open clear. to that, you didn't did. I? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I do, I know of, of young people who now are heading for university or who started off in one school who are now into some of the grammar schools because that's what they want to do. And it, it's lovely to see ambition in architects and doctors and medics artists with some very creative children some very creative parents and we're starting to see families and adults now into work so I can remember this is a funny story I went to an event on the Falls Road there was a a bit of an exhibition one of the daddies and this was quite early on maybe about 2018 one of the daddies was having an art exhibition and um, I went along and I parked my car and I was coming up the street and I could hear these little girls all chittering away in Arabic and so I turned round and I said, oh, girls, how are you? And it was like, how about you, Michelle? <laughs> and it was really broad. And it was just wonderful to hear them, you know, not only had they got the, the English and the context, but they'd got a bit of the, the accent as well. And that was that was really lovely. For me, it's about them being healthy and happy and safe in education. And with all of those things, then they'll, they'll achieve. Of course, your efforts aren't restricted to those two interest groups we have been discussing. You've also got a couple I know you want to talk about in, in Thrive in Newton Abbey and in East Belfast. Yeah, so we've, we've got family connections in South and East Belfast and up in Newton Abbey as well. And they offer a range of support services for children and families in schools and the community as well. So it's, it's that whole takes a village to to raise a child. So this is everything from early years, play, learning, parenting programmes, family learning and community links. And the Family Connections team provide community support to children, young people and families. They kept doing it during the pandemic. We had to be really creative. You know, and lots of people have talked about the impact of the pandemic and, you know, the increase in poverty and all of that. All of these problems, all of these challenges existed pre-pandemic. What the pandemic has done is spotlight that has exasperated the pre-existing issues and increased pressure on families. The Family Connections team in Newton Abbey, they also coordinate the Thrive Collaboration in Newton Abbey and it is one of our shining lights in terms of pieces of work. It's a group of local parents, schools, community and voluntary organisations and statutory partners to tackle the causes of underachievement and poor well-being. And rather than only working to mitigate the symptoms, fundamental to the success of Thrive is the role of partners, especially pupils and parents, as equal co-architects in building the foundations so the community can thrive. You will hear this mantra in Rathcool and Monkstown about we can. And it's about believing 
that, that things can change. It's about aiming high for our children, ensuring that everybody has that mantra. So it's keeping the eyes on the outcomes. We want a better life for our children. We want educational attainment for our children where they can. And we might have to do that in really creative ways. We use the boxing club. We use, you know, bringing parents together, giving them lots of support. Everybody is wrapping around our children. So have you seen uh, the impact of that? Yes, we've seen loads of success stories, again, where the attainment levels were very low. We've seen a real significant increase in in attainment levels. We've seen an increase in parental involvement, so parents working alongside the schools and other community organisations working alongside the schools and really aiming high for our children. There's a fantastic website, Thrive Newton Abbey, .co.uk if anybody wants to have a look you know you can see the outcomes you can see the change you can see what we're doing and we're involving everybody in that community my bit it's like come back to the Syrian work and any of the work that we've done with children if you keep your eye on the outcome if you, if everybody that's around the table is focused on the one outcome and the one thing and that's about improving lives in, in terms of children or improving education or improving attainment or helping a child to achieve their potential, then together we can do it. It's that whole bit about, you know, if we work together, we'll do better for our children. All of our children deserve this, Maggie. Well, I must say, it's great to hear of the success stories of all those efforts that you've been involved in. And very many thanks to you, Michelle James of Barnardo's. If you are interested in the topics we've been discussing, this is one of a series of podcasts from the Equality Commission dealing with educational inequalities. You can find them all on the Equality Commission's website.